HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Today's episode number 79 of Feast Your Ears, I think, if I'm counting correctly. It gets really confusing in the studio with pre-records and stuff, but I think it's episode 79. Uh, today I have Gustavo Frias on the radio with me. Joining me here, we're in the shipping containers in the backyard of Roberta's. Uh, it is hot out there in New York City today, but it's nice and cool in here. The AC is cranking. Uh, Gustavo's having a cocktail. We're having some, some iced coffee. Uh, Gustavo was the former head fishmonger at Greenpoint Fish and Lobster. He helped open that, open that spot, or I guess two spots up in their wholesale division as well. Uh, and uh, super excited to have you in the studio, Gustavo. Thank hey, you. Hey, man. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so... Let's start with an introduction. Uh, tell sure. us a little bit uh, about yourself. So you are no longer the head fishmonger at Greenpoint Fish, right? But you were for a number of years. Uh, one year, kind one year, of, yeah. yeah. But but I'm I'm still very much involved. I was just talking to Vinny, one of the owners today. Uh, he sent me a text yesterday. He's like, "We need uh, more cutters. We're getting busy," um, which is amazing. It's good, you know. Um, so you know, I've, I've been helping him out with uh, personnel and. Um, so, you know, the saga continues. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you teach classes. Uh, you and Adam, yes. uh, one of the other owners there, teach classes at the yep. Brooklyn Kitchen, but yep. also in, other, in their spaces as well. I know exactly. there's oyster shucking classes in the Long yep. Island City store. Yep. Yeah. 
So how did you uh, how did you get into fish? Man, so <laughs> I I remember having an affinity to fish uh, as you know as far back as I can remember, and my family did not appreciate fish. Uh, Even like, though there's like so many of you, you're one of ten kids. One of right? ten. One of ten. I am the last of the litter. Wow. So out of, so out of all twelve, yeah, your nine siblings and your yeah. parents, yeah, nobody really likes fish that much except you. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> My mom was very very um, uh, supportive in that fact, and that she would cook me a whole porgy uh, for myself when I came home from school, and I would tear that up. But uh, she would do that, I think, just because. Um, for dinner, uh, she would have something else for the rest of the family. <laughs> so hopefully the fish smell would be out of the house by that time. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, every time my mom and dad would take me out to dinner on, you know, Friday, Friday nights, I would always order shrimp or anything else that would be like that. But, like, even fish sticks were pretty awesome at school. I mean, I, I, sort, I sort of get that. I mean, I tend to order, if I go to a restaurant, I will very rarely order something I cook at home often yeah, right like right. you know we i you know we eat a lot of chicken yeah uh you know we cook cook sausage on the grill at home mm-hmm. so it's almost never will i order a chicken dish out at a restaurant because i feel like i cook a lot of chicken at home exactly. i eat it a lot yeah and i do want to have you know maybe shrimp when i'm out or yeah. i want to have lamb because i haven't cooked lamb at home in a you while gotta treat yourself right yeah, exactly yeah exactly so you grew up in west covina that's right california mm-hmm which is not near the water. No, no. And uh, so, so I mean, was there was there a fish market in town? Uh, not really. Um, my mom would go to a butcher shop and and get selective stuff like um, everything from like masa to make tortillas to like you know um, some some different kinds of cuts of beef and pork. And I think she found something uh, in that neighborhood. And uh, I think that's where she started sourcing her fish for me. Got it. Yeah, Got yeah. It. Um, but other, otherwise, no. There's nothing else there. Was it like a fish on Friday Catholic kind of thing? Like uh, you see in Greenpoint. I mean, for instance, yes. across the street from Greenpoint it, Fish and ex- Lobster. Exactly. I think now, yes, it's happening. But when I was young, no. It was, it was more of a diverse town. So it never really catered to that until now. I think it's, uh, it's definitely evolved in, in, a, in a really cool way. It's a really cool town. So, uh, you know, we, I mentioned right before we started, uh, you know, some of you listeners might listen, uh, might watch the, uh, the television show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which was created by comedian Rachel Bloom that is about a successful uh, young lawyer uh, in New York City who moves to West Covina to follow a teenage crush of hers. I mean, she is older and runs into him on the street and he's from West Covina. So maybe perhaps your life is kind of backwards of that. Like <laughs> you grew up in West Covina yeah. and now you've come to New and- York. Yeah, moved uh, 3,000 miles away to New York. And uh, yeah, very, very opposite of that. Absolutely. So working at Greenpoint Fish and Lobster as the as the head fishmonger, mm-hmm. yep. um, you know, that I assume entailed everything from cutting fresh mm-hmm. fish, but also to, you know, a ton of education, both oh, of absolutely. staff and yeah. of, of, uh, of customers. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a favorite fish? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think anytime I see sardines come in, uh, or, or anchovies, even uh, my, my eyes are just like, oh, and my, you know, I start drooling over them. Uh, those are definitely the fish that I'm like, always gravitate towards. Um, uh, but then also like uh, salmon season, you know, first yeah, we're first, in it right now. First, right, Alaskans- the king salmon of, of the year comes yeah. in, and it's like, oh man, I gotta definitely have. Yeah, I mean, I think treat. I think you know, fish is something that, and I'm, I don't you know you. 
tell me if you think that this is true mm-hmm. with the with the customers that you've uh, encountered. But we talk a lot about seasonality and lots of other food, sure. but lots of things. You know, you can get an avocado 365 days a year. Sure. You can get a lemon 365 days yeah. a year. We've sort of, we've. I feel like we've come to a point where there are some things that, yes, people care about seasonality. Mm-hmm. But you know, when we were running the Brooklyn Kitchen uh, produce department, we had avocados and lemons and limes all the time because people yeah. sort of expected sure. that. Yeah. And I feel like um, you know, fish is one of those things where certain kinds of fish, like people expect shrimp. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, right? I mean, it, it's kind of backwards. Yeah. Uh, I, I think uh, people do expect that. Uh, well, because they don't really know. Like summertime, people think that oysters are in season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for to me, it's like you know, winter is like the best time for. Yeah, I mean, that. honestly, I, I yeah. you know, I grew up eating a lot of fish. Actually, I mean, my my dad worked cool. at a fish market, yeah, and yeah. you know, I spent a lot of time in Maine, and yeah. we, we bought a lot of fresh fish and ate a lot of fresh fish. And I remember as a kid, I mean, we very much would adhere to the fact that you don't eat oysters in a month without R. Yeah. I mean, like, you just yeah. don't. And now it's fine, well, right? I mean, I mean, it's changed for sure. Yeah. Uh, they're all mostly farm-raised, like, yeah. you know, 95% or so. But, uh, I mean, you can still get them, obviously, anywhere in, around. But but the best peak time is winter. Yeah, you know, I, I still have them now. Don't, don't get me wrong, but... But it's just funny that, you know, it's expected now that it's summer. Right. And, and I guess maybe, you know, is that I guess maybe that's a marketing thing, right? Like the sure. rosé the rose sure. people were like, well, <laughs> yeah. you're going to drink cold yeah. rosé. We're not going to serve you cold rosé with that's hot it. soup. So exactly. <laughs> maybe you should have an oyster. Instead. Absolutely. It's, it's a hallmark <laughs> thing now. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, speaking of oysters, do you, have a, do you have a favorite preparation for oysters? Ooh, yeah, that I mean, I I went to New Orleans last uh, Halloween, and uh, I every every chance I got, I got um, grilled oysters. Oh yeah. Oh man. When I lived in Northern California, yeah, grilled oysters out there were yeah. a big deal. I'd never had them that yeah. way before from the, yeah. coming from the East Coast. I have to say, for me, uh, the oyster pan roast mm-hmm. at the Oyster Bar in Grand Central is Ooh, like I is heard like about a that pinnacle, yeah, like dish, like yeah. you know, one of those dishes that is just like perfect as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Like you could just you don't you don't have to change it, you don't have to fuck with it, like right, right, you right. Can just have it. It, it. Yeah, it's so cool. And right now, I'm still like wrapping my head around like how 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 should I do my version of a grilled oyster and. Um, so we'll, so let's talk about that. Will that be yeah, on the menu? Sure. So you have a new project, yeah. um, Chamusca. Absolutely, yeah. So tell me about Very, it. very excited about this. So, you know, been been consulting and, and working with a lot of really cool um, companies, Fulton Fish Market, Greenpoint Fish. So I, I have connections to all these. And um, the, my next endeavor is opening up my own restaurant. And um, uh, having a voice, I think, is, is going to be... <laughs> very, very, um, very personal to me. So, yeah, I think a lot of these um, dishes that I came up with uh, as as I always started learning how to cook, I think I've definitely evolved. So I think uh, um, I'm going to focus that on the plates uh, of chamusca. And, uh, yeah, for anybody who doesn't know what chamusca comes from, it's it comes from the indigenous word uh, uh, chamuscado, <coughs> which means um, seared or charred. Um, so, you know, a lot of the salsas and, um, come chamuscado before they get like mashed up in the molcajete. Uh, okay. And that's, that's where that word comes from. That's one of the first words I, I kind of gravitated towards what my mom told me about it when I was a kid. Yeah. 
and then just never forgot it. So, so you also uh, have a salsa company. I have a salsa, salsa company called yeah. Gustavo Salsa. That's right. Very, you know, easy, easy to remember. <laughs> easy to remember. Uh, and is did that come out of? I mean, did you have salsas at home? As oh, a kid? absolutely. So that was yeah, a yeah. That, so that the fish thing didn't come from family cooking, but right? The salsa exactly, thing. exactly. I um, my my mom, ever since I can remember, had salsas on the table, different kinds and. Um, everything from tomatillo to tomatoes and different kinds of chilies throughout the year, um, different seasons, different chilies. But, you know, the salsas that I do now are very different than that because I had to actually experiment with how to make them shelf-stable. And that was an amazing, amazing endeavor, which I I know you you do, like, your own vinegars as well. Yeah. It's it's cool, right? Like, that whole science about it. It's like packaging something and then, you know, I mean, it's it's an old, ancient kind of thing, but... I think it's it's wonderful that I can actually package something that's very personal to me too, yeah. and then put it on a shelf somewhere. Yeah, yeah it's absolutely. it's awesome. At the restaurant, we we also have the fresh salsas oh, as well. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. The, the you know different dishes will have that on, um, accompanied with on the table as well. Awesome. So to go back to the the seasonal uh, the seasonal fish discussion, um, you know, I while while I think there is that kind of like you know, I mean, I. I know we live in a bubble, right, yeah. in New York, and, and we're on the coast, and we're mm-hmm. all food people, and we're, you know, we're in a food radio station. For oh, I'm so glad right you now. didn't say foodies. Uh, <laughs> I don't really like that word. <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, there, there is this sort of interesting thing around fish where I think we still, even though we are all talking about it mm-hmm. a lot, and yeah. Grandpa Fish and Lobster has raised the bar in the lobster place, yep. and Chelsea Market has raised the yep. bar, and there's lots of good fish around. In a lot of the country, you know, you go and, I mean, you see ads, you see billboards for, like, yeah. Red Lobster Shrimp Fest. That's right. All you can eat, yeah. peel and eat shrimp, or whatever it is. Yep. And, you know, what's driving that is this, like, crazy, crazy production world that's totally sort of unknown unless you dig for it. That's right. About how bad that is, right? And and how it's, Absolutely. you know, it, it's bad for the environment, it's bad for the people raising the yeah. raising the shrimp and the, the farm salmon, it's bad for the people who are eating them, oh, ultimately. Yeah. Um, and, and that there isn't transparency in fish. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, one of the questions that I ask all my guests is, what's your pet peeve related to food? And that was yours. Oh, sure. So um, can you talk to me a little bit about how someone, you know, if someone's listening to the show today and... They want to eat fish, but maybe they're nervous too. And I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the nervousness yeah. around eating and buying fish comes from that. People sure. hear about sort of sketchy stuff yeah. or hear about people getting sick from eating mm-hmm. it. And so they don't want to risk that because they're worried. They don't have confidence. Absolutely. I, I come across this all the time, even even with people that I'm training how to sell fish as fishmongers and cut it. Um, you know, it, it, it's, you know it, it gets down to like where you buy your fish. And of course, doing the classes, you know, customers have to question. And uh, uh, I think you just got to be a little bit more confident about questioning where your fish comes from. If you start to get a little bit more uh, of, um, of, you know, friction anywhere you go in a restaurant um, and maybe not being completely transparent about where they're sourcing their fish and what they're feeding you. You know, I, I say this to a lot of these customers that go to the fish markets and have to deal with the same thing maybe find somewhere else you know right it, i think this is the time where um a lot of restaurants and retail markets that are elevating their quality and also the transparency um it, it's you know it's time to turn the tide here yeah otherwise we're, we're going to be stuck in, in in a world where we're going to be 
um, having a lot of really bad quality fish and also um, socially, economically, it's not great because a lot of these shrimps, you know, just to mention one product, a shrimp is like not, doesn't, doesn't really have a really good um, track record as far as like farming and production. Yeah. You've heard of the slavery and yeah. it's, it's really bad. So, you know, we, we got to just wake up, open our eyes, ask questions. Uh, otherwise, we're going to be stuck. We're going to be out of fish. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be. Well, and I think we're, I mean, we do live in a time. I mean, I remember 20, you know, 20 years ago, 25, 30 years ago yeah. as a kid, a lot of that information wasn't out there. So, you know, you, you couldn't just hop on your phone and be like, wait a minute, I want to learn about shrimp farming. That's right. right. Yeah. And now we have that access. Yeah. So that's, I think, really important to mention. And there, there are great guides out there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Monterey Seafood Bay Watch. Yeah. Seafood Watch. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, and I think just, you know, really asking questions and understanding. I mean, I, you know, there's so much mm-hmm. sort of to learn about, you know, about these things and sure. about sustainability. Sure. I mean, you know, there are fisheries that are sustainable that are super yeah. well managed. Yeah. I didn't know until, uh, you know, we, we first were selling fish at the Brooklyn Kitchen that the scallop fishery. Mm-hmm off of the east coast of the United States is incredibly carefully managed. That's right. And it's actually really sustainable Mm -hmm. and it sustains the fishermen and it sustains them economically. It's not just about how much fish is in the water. It's sustaining the fishermen. It's sustaining the supply chains. Right. um, And it's sustaining the animal and the environment. Exactly right. Yeah. It's such a, such a cool, cool, um, ecosystem there. And I think, uh, uh, we got to learn a lot from the fisheries in Alaska too. I think that's, I, th- I think, to me, is the most highly managed uh, fishery in the world. Sure, yeah, sure, like so, Crystal Bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, um, you know, we're we're on the right track, but you know, I mean, just talking about our country here, like, and we're in a bubble, like you said. You know, New York, New Yorkers will have a little bit more information about it because you know there's a lot of us here trying to turn the t- turn of the tide. But you go inland just a little bit more and probably even my hometown, you know, go back to my hometown and I I go to the little fish shop that's been there for, you know, a few years and I see what's kind of happening there and I'm starting to ask questions a little bit more, but I'm probably, you know, one of the two people that are asking questions about it. So we have a long way to go. Yeah. And, and there's, and, you know, and all this stuff is very complicated. I mean, I, I always struggle with the fact that, um, you know, there is a responsibility issue, um, you know, now that I have children thinking about the future yeah. and, and what that can look like and, and, and seeing things that have disappeared from our oh, table yeah. in, in my lifetime. When I was a kid, you could buy Maine shrimp sure. on the side of the road yeah. starting in November when you were up in the Northeast and they were amazing. Yeah. That was my favorite seafood was those little tiny native, they call them native shrimp yeah. in Maine because you yeah. could have native shrimp or you could have Gulf shrimp which That's right. came from Florida. And now that fishery is completely collapsed. They, you know, they send out some research boats every year. I think last year they hauled in like 700 pounds total just for research purposes Mm -hmm. to check on the check on how the uh, how the shrimp population was doing. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, that's not a I mean, I can't I can't I can only tell my kids about it. Right. I mean, the the animal's not extinct. Yeah. But I can only tell my kids about how delicious that was. And, And we live in this. 
uh, we live in this food world of pressures where, you know, on Instagram you see, oh, this was the most amazing <laughs> tuna. The mo- I had this crazy good Toro. Right. You know, and right. then you look at the average size of bluefin tuna has gotten right. smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller because, you know, on the one hand, we want to have these incredible food experiences that we're being yeah. told is the, like, pinnacle of life so we can take a picture of it and show all our friends. That's right. And on the other hand, we're talking about things that are awesome, like sardines, where sure. it's like, well, we only get them for a short time when yeah. they're really fresh because yeah. they're in, they're not shelf stable at all. I yeah. mean, they yeah. basically start to rot the minute they come out of the water. That's right. So you got to eat them fast. Sure. Um, and you know, I think we need to celebrate those things as well, but mm-hmm. understand that like if you wake up, you know, one if you wake up in the wrong season and you want that product, you just can't have it. Absolutely, you got to wait and hopefully have it once or twice the next year. Yep, and then you're kind of done. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, there's a hell of a lot more fish in the the ocean that will definitely, you know, um, cater to your palate. There's, you know, croakers is probably one of my other favorites that nobody's ever heard of. Yeah, you mentioned porgy as a kid. And porgy as a kid, yeah. And, and, you know, still, like, it's it's kind of astonishing. Like, uh, we, we sell so much fish, but yet the most abundant ones are still, like, delicious and nobody's ever heard of them <laughs> a lot of the thing i think is, um it, it's due to their name unfortunately sure i mean it's it's not a red snapper it's it's not a soul it's sure it's a croaker well sure i mean <laughs> i mean some some genius was like oh nobody wants to eat a patagonian toothfish <laughs> yeah right we're gonna call it exactly. sea bass exactly there yeah. you go it's all Re- marketing rename it yeah exactly Exactly. Um, we're going to take a short break cool. and hear from one of our sponsors here at Heritage Radio Network. And uh, when we come back, I'm going to read an excerpt from a book about fish from around the turn of the last century. Heritage Foods USA is a farm-to-table online butcher and founded sponsor of Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Foods got its start when Patrick Martin's first stepped foot onto Frank Reese's Kansas farm in 2001. Back then, Frank was the only farmer in America raising true heritage turkeys with recorded lineages tracing back more than 150 years. Patrick knew instantly he'd found a unique moment, an opportunity to go beyond acknowledging these breeds as being jeopardized and to actually do something to save them. Patrick asked Frank to ramp up production and made a promise to him that if he would raise them, Heritage Foods USA would sell them. That was the moment that Heritage Foods slogan, Eat Them to Save Them, was born. By creating a market for delicious meats from Heritage Breeds, we can ensure they'll be around for generations to come. Plus, Heritage Breeds just tastes a whole lot better. Learn more at HeritageFoodsUSA.com and use the code HeritageRadio for two free pork chops with your first order, brother. 
Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and today I have Gustavo Frias in the studio. Uh, before the break, we were talking about how he came to be a fishmonger uh, yeah. growing up in West Covina, which those of you who know where West Covina is, it's not near the ocean at all. Uh, I'm going to read an excerpt. I've been, been doing this for a couple of shows now uh, at, the, at the top of the second half of the show. Today's excerpt is from a book, uh, from a series uh, called The Queen Cookery Books. This is from book number 12, which was titled Fish Part One. It was written by S. Beatty Pownall, uh, published in London in 1903. And this is an excerpt from chapter one of that book titled Fish in General. It is probable that few cooks, or for that matter, few housekeepers of any degree, fully realize the value of fish as a food, and still less do they grasp the infinite variety of methods by which it may be treated. It may be granted at once that the amount of flesh-forming material it supplies compares unfavorably with that contained in butcher's meat or even poultry, but as against this, fish is rich in phosphorus, of which it contains a large proportion, a substance which all know is invaluable as a brain food. Needless, probably, to remark that the nutritive value and the digestibility alike of fish vary in the different kinds. The class known as oily fish, for instance, such as herring, salmon, etc., contain the largest amount of nourishment, whilst white fish, such as turbo, flounders, place, whiting, haddock, etc., contain the least. Local convenience, as said before, may require that fish should be kept before use, inland especially, and for this purpose, fishmongers recommend the larger fish, asserting that they require a few days to mellow. What that means with salmon, ask a Highlander who thinks the royal fish uneatable unless the flesh is firm, crisp, needing to be actually bitten, and streaked between the flakes with a creamy curd which disappears within 24 hours or so of the fish being, quote, grassed. Strange as this may appear, the same remark applies also to turbo cod and indeed to all fish in good condition, though few people have the luck to taste these fish absolutely fresh out of the water. Moreover, all these fish retain, retain so much flavor that I have known even gourmets introduced to salmon or turbo for the first time in their absolutely fresh condition complain of a lack of mellowness in the fish as compared with that obtainable in town. We all probably know the story of the Scotch Laird, who, meeting with this complaint from a valued southern guest and divining its origin, quietly sent the salmon intended for the evening meal for a ride in front of his groom on a hot summer's day, and was rewarded for what was to him almost sacrilege, by the pleasure of his friend on getting a really first-rate fish, my dear sir. It is to this keeping, which is in truth the initial stage of decomposition, that a great deal of the indigestibility attributed to salmon, etc., is due. Herring and its kin, to say nothing of mackerel, resent the attempt to keep them and revenge this attempt so fiercely that one usually gets them in a more than less fresh state. But unfortunately, this does not apply to other kinds, which we, in consequence, often eat when in a condition perilously near to being unfit for human food. So, 1903. I, I think it's amazing. I, I mean, I think it hits on some. It hits on some some good points. I think that there's. Uh, I think we've come a long way in understanding uh, nutrients and sure. nutritive value. Sure. Uh, you know, omega threes, omega sixes, oil in fish, that kind of thing. But it. It does speak a little bit to uh, something I wanted to ask you about related to freshness. Sure. Um, so we talked earlier about sardines and anchovies and things, how mm -hmm. they, they rot really fast. Sure. And so they kind of need to be consumed. But what do you think about what this says about bigger fish and the sort of idea that perhaps eating them fresh killed or fresh out of the water is not actually the best? Absolutely. I'm, I don't know. You've heard of uh, Japan techniques. Like, sure. You know, they... they 
freshness is not always the best thing in, in Japan. Absolutely. Um, I, I kind of feel the same thing. You know, you, we see fish come in all the time um, throughout my career, and I, I see them with rigor. And um, you almost don't want to cut that meat quite yet. Sure. Because um, it, it needs a little bit of time to relax. I mean, the same thing is true yeah, of poultry. The same absolutely. thing is true. The same thing is true yep. of you know of exactly lamb and pigs and, mm-hmm. and cows. I mean, uh, I remember years ago the first time I ever went to a live poultry market. I thought, sure. oh, I'm going to buy a chicken and cook it for dinner tonight. Yeah. And I, I try. I mean, the thing was horrible. Exactly. And and I yeah. asked someone about it. I was like, oh, was it the chicken? They were like, no, you needed to wait till the next day. That's right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, my understanding with poultry and perhaps it's also true of fish mm-hmm. is you either need to cook and eat them like immediately mm-hmm. after killing them. Yeah. Or wait at least 24, maybe 48 hours. Sure. Um, for that rigor to subside. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Most of the time we get fish in that have been caught like, you know, 24 hours. So you don't really see that uh, with Greenpoint fish, for example, we've been getting fish like very, very fresh. So a lot of rigor that we've been seeing. And uh, uh, I think between me and and my crew, we're, we we kind of had a, have an understanding that you don't necessarily want to cut that fish right away uh, until it kind of relaxes a little bit. So we we uh, kind of market that in the window and and show people how fresh that is, but not without cutting it. But so without just, cutting, yeah. So the it. whole fish is out there, and and it, you know, tail is curled up, and people look at it, and you know, they want to see it. And we pick it up, and it's still like stiff. Stiff yeah. as a board, yeah. and and that's that's kind of like how we we usually go about things. We we cut the stuff that is more like twenty four hours in or a little bit more and sell that because obviously on the bone it stays a lot fresher. But yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, you know, pe- people talk about oh, I had the sushi was so fresh. I know, right? But right. that's not. In, in the best sushi places, I mean, I, I once was, was lucky enough to see a demonstration sure. of Ikejime, yeah. which is, I saw it demonstrated on a fluke. And oh, cool. what they do, for those that don't know, is they, um, you take a live fish mm-hmm. and you make an incision by the tail, but you don't cut the tail fully off and you make an incision near mm-hmm. the head and you let that animal bleed out in yeah. ice water. Yeah. Um, after And after you have essentially... Um, made it uh i mean it's a, it, it's effectively dead i guess but basically you take a very thin uh wire and you mm-hmm. put it up the spine so yep. you've sort of paralyzed but also made it so that the fish never really goes into rigor that's right the, the idea or the theory is that what you're doing is you're deadening all the nerves yep. so the fish never goes into rigor and then you bleed it out so mm-hmm. you're removing all the blood which is actually very similar to the way that kosher slaughtering right. happens where halal. you need to remove halal. halal as yeah. well where you need to remove all the blood mm-hmm. And then the fish is filleted, mm-hmm. and then you actually wrap it mm-hmm. and leave it in the refrigerator. You know, you don't leave it out. I mean, we're not fermenting. We can get into a whole That's different right. thing, right. Uh, fish sauce and, and that yep. kind of yeah, stuff. exactly. But you leave it in the refrigerator for, for 72 hours before you slice it. And mm-hmm. I, I, at the demonstration that I saw, we tasted it fresh. Yep. And we tasted it after a day, and we tasted it after three days. And the, the texture and the flavor is completely different. And Absolutely. what people... Are, you know, what people actually sort of what we all agreed and what is mentioned in this book from 1903 mm-hmm. is that the flavor and the texture are much more developed sure. and the texture is smoother yep. um, if you let that sit for three days. Now, of course, when we're talking about fish, it is uh, incredibly perishable. Sure. So, you know, it's not like a steak where <laughs> like right. you can buy a steak and dry age, <laughs> dry age, or you yeah. can leave it in your fridge for four days and yep. it'll be probably the same, mm-hmm. maybe even a little better. I wouldn't suggest buying a 
piece of fish from a nope. fish market and leaving it in your fridge for four or five days and then deciding to cook it. That's right. It's a very, very technical process. Uh, I've never done it, but I've definitely understand it. I think there's there's a there's a, a lot of fish that we've th- throughout my career that um, we've cut in you know probably three or four days, you know, uh, in ice and changing the ice on a daily basis until we need it. Uh, I think uh, wild striped bass is probably a good example of when we cut that and it's still in rigor. The flesh is definitely a lot different, and uh, the flavor is definitely different. I think it's a little bit more watery, like it, ha- it retains a little bit more water. Um, and I, but I think I, after a few days, it's so much better. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this is one of those examples where this is important information mm-hmm. for people to have as sure. customers. But what you should understand is that when you're buying that fish from the fish market, yeah. it's at it, it theoretically should be at its prime. Sure, so absolutely. It's not you know you don't need to buy it and say oh well. The guys said that you need to wait a couple of days, right? <laughs> if you're catching the fish yourself, absolutely, then this is what we're talking about. But if you know, the idea is that if you're going to buy that fillet or you're going to buy that yeah. piece of fish or you're going to buy that shrimp from the fish market, that sure. it is ready to cook. Oh, absolutely. That day, that's that's the whole thing about it. I mean, we as a fishmonger trying to sell a really good product without having to go into the details of what is behind the scenes. Sure. And you don't necessarily say, well, this striped bass has been here for four days, but it's delicious. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because people yeah. don't want to hear that. Exactly. Not... Well, how about the other fish? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so what do you think is the most, you know, if there were one or two questions that a consumer should ask at their local fish market mm-hmm. when they're buying fish, mm-hmm. what, what are, you know, what are the best questions to ask that, that both, I mean, you know, you, you don't want to. You don't want to imply that the fishmonger is trying to screw you. Oh, sure. Right? Absolutely. But you also want to get some valuable information for you as a customer. Absolutely. Uh, I, I feel like if a customer is going into any retail shop and they have an idea of what they want to cook, I think uh, a really, really good way to go and shop, hopefully you have this confidence in the, the retail um, market and the fishmongers, is you have an open mind. I think the conversation of like, all right, what's available um, and what you want to cook is, is very crucial rather than like going in with a recipe that says cod on it. Right. Um, if you go in with a recipe and it, this has been, you know, my experience in my career is like, well, you don't necessarily want to use this fish if you're going to try and cook it this way. Sure. Try this fish and, you know, and I think it, it's, it's doing a service for the, the customer, the community, and also like the fishermen who are catching the fish at that time. You don't want to turn people away saying, well, we don't have cod. Sorry. You know, the, the fishmonger should say, you got to try this fish and, you know, don't even worry about cod. Hake, Pollock, is, they're amazing. And also depends on how you're going to cook it. So cooking skills are always valuable and invaluable when you're trying to sell fish. Because, um, again, people come in with their apps on their phone or a piece of paper saying that they need, you know, two six ounce portion of <laughs> certain fish and you're like right. well not going to do that today it's not in season or it's probably over a fish yeah so yeah the, the fishmonger should be very very educated on what to sell and open minds on the customers yeah cool. I, I, that's that's my and and i would also recommend that as a customer um you should have confidence in in your own in in the way you feel about 
what you're being presented with. So, oh, sure, so sure. you know, and and I, you know, obviously develop a relationship. But yeah, if, you, if yeah. you happen to be somewhere, and this has happened to me, you mm-hmm. know, I I was in Rhode Island a couple of years ago, and I was like, oh, we're near Point Judith. Sure. It's going to be great squid. Sure, sure. And I went to a fish market, and I was like, hey man, you got any fresh squid? <laughs> and the guy was like, no, I know, I got frozen. Yeah. And I was like, wait, what? I huh? Know. And I looked at the package, and it was from China. WTF. And I was just, I, I was like, okay, well, what, what do you have? Like, and I ended up buying something else that sure. actually looked good. And I, I bought some swordfish that had, you know, yeah. that actually was delicious and was fresh and, and everything. But, you Strange. know, even if, you know, you go in with these preconceptions yeah. and you kind of, you have to, you have to be willing with, especially, I think more so than shopping for beef or shopping for pork oh, or chicken abs- or anything absolutely. else. With fish, you have to be willing to change your mind. Absolutely. And not go into the store with any preconceptions and right. just get whatever, whatever's right. fresh. And, and if what you came in for doesn't look great. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, when I was working on my book, mm-hmm. Vinegar Revival, I have a, a cured mackerel uh, mm-hmm. recipe in there. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, in New York City, last September, there were no fresh mackerel available, yeah. which seemed yeah. super weird, but it was just ha- that week or whatever. It, it happens. And, you know, the I had someone who was helping me with it, and they went to the fish market, and they brought back these mackerel that were essentially turning into fish sauce already. Right. And I was like, I can't, I mean, I can't, yeah. you know, we could make fish sauce. That doesn't happen to be in the book. <laughs> uh, but... You know, I cannot, I'm not going to be able to fillet these and then cure the fillets. They're just turning the mush because it's starting to rot. Yeah. And I did end up finally finding some that was fresh, but it was a, it was a product of, I needed that specific fish. Got it. So she went out and got me that fish, but the fish wasn't good for what I was doing with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Happens all the time. And there, there'll be weeks and in the year where you're not going to find a certain fish when you're going to need it. And I think that's, you know. It's very important to keep an open mind when you're doing your experiments. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Well, we're just about out of time, but I did want to mention that uh, you do have a pop-up coming up. Yes. So, so Chamuska is not open yet. Not open yet. We're in the works. Um, Hopefully, you know, we're we're, we're shooting for October, you know, somewhere in the fall. I know, you know, uh, anybody that's opening up a business in New York knows permits are a pain and time consuming. So yeah. we're going through the process, but, um, everybody, it says two weeks, right? <laughs> it's uh, two weeks. Yes. And, uh, that can go on for months, a week but later, every time you two ask, weeks again, two weeks. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, we're, we're shooting for, I think October. Um, but in the meantime, you know, we're, we're, we're gonna, um, do a couple events, I think hopefully. And, um, yeah. and the first one we're going to do is in Brooklyn kitchen. Cool. And, and, and uh, that will be on the 31st of August? Is on the right? 31st of August. Yeah. Great. And uh, where, once once the details come together, uh, obviously we'll have links on the Brooklyn Kitchen Absolutely. site. And then uh, people can find you online. Yes. Uh, as well. Uh, GustavoSalsa.com. Cool. And there'll be information there Absolutely. about it as well. Yeah. Uh, and you can follow Gustavo on Twitter and Instagram at Gustavo Salsas. Yeah. Um, All one word. Yep. Not Gustavo's. There's not, not two right. S's, <laughs> one S. Exactly. Gustavo salsas yes perfect uh, awesome well thank you gustavo so much of course for coming thanks, on the thanks show for today. having me harry thanks everybody for listening to feast your ears um big thank you to david tattashore who engineers this show please take a moment to like the show on itunes and reach out to me if you have any questions you can always reach me via email harry at the brooklynkitchen.com you can follow me on social media at the foodballer uh, my first book comes out August 1st. Vinegar Revival is a guide to making and using vinegar at home. Very you can pre-order it at vinegarrevival.com on Amazon or from your local bookstore. 
You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows. I think right now we're at 35 shows every week here at heritageradionetwork.org on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me. Oh, I said that already. You can follow me on Instagram at yeah. the Foodball Arts. Yeah, I wrote it here twice in my sheet. <laughs> uh, anyway, talk to you guys next week. Awesome. Thanks, Harry. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.